Tim Minchin, of course, is the uh, the musical lyrical and genius who created Matilda the Musical, as well as a portfolio, sad, sardonic, sentimental songs, which are, as befits a comedian, often very funny and edgy. Still, the show that he's bringing to Aotearoa in March is called An Unfunny Evening with Tim Minchin and his piano. And he's with us now. Hello. Hello, Kim. How are you? Talk about edgy. Blimey. Five <laughs> seconds to go. Five seconds to go and Tim Minchin. Uh, on Kim Hill's final show. Yeah. I mean, I am No, you're I testing me. You're testing me. I'm... <laughs> Thanks I'm for like coming. I'm pathologically punctual. I, I never, I'm always on time. So I, I made this um, just for the jeopardy because I thought you'd enjoy it. Yeah, no, thanks for that. It's very punk. No worries. Where did the punk glam, <laughs> the glam punk look start for you, Tim, by the way, talking punk? Um, I don't know, really. I, I guess I come from a theatre background, so I always did a little bit of makeup, you know, before I went on stage, just because you do. And especially because my hands were trapped being a pianist and I was always aware that I had to make my eyes stand out because I'm trying to tell stories and sell jokes. And uh, But also I was watching um, The Mighty Boosh, you know, um, that British comedy with Noel Fielding and he's very influenced by 60s rockers and stuff. I don't know really. I didn't, I didn't overthink it. It just developed. I'm sorry about your mother's death, by the way. Sorry. Oh, thanks. That's that's very kind. That's I think very it's, recent. Um, it's very recent, so I'm not sure where I'm at with that. But um, I certainly, um, you know, it's certainly the the natural way of things, mm. as she said. It's it's the right order. She's a bit young, but she said it's the right order in her pragmatic way. I was talking to Michael Rosen earlier this morning, and his way of dealing with that stuff. Is to is to keep busy. Is to do as much as possible. And I don't know. Maybe yeah. that's your thing as well. That's certainly been my strategy in the in the two weeks since it's happened. Um, I uh, yeah, I, I'm not I'm not keeping busy in a sort of desperate way. But but busy is my normal state, and I haven't adjusted that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm right now. I'm busy planning the funeral with my siblings, and it's going to be. Um, a hell of a gig because she had a lot of friends and our family's got a lot of musicians in it and uh and we're sort of not not very religious so it's it's going to be a secular i was going to say i'm of, uh, i'm assuming there won't be there won't be a lot of priests around well actually uh our very dear friend who's a who's a canon of the anglican church who married me and my brother and one of my sisters and has buried many of us already uh, will be there, and who we've asked if he'll say a prayer at the beginning and a blessing at the end because some of Mum's friends are religious, so we wanted to make sure that was represented. And we're doing it in a in a chapel, and you know, fair's fair. Gotta That's have a nice. Bit of it. I mean, I thought you might be a bit of a militant atheist, but you're not at all, are you? No, I'm not militant. Anything. The only thing I'm militant about is the absence of militants. I'm an anti an anti extremist. I want to play a song that expresses that, actually, by sheer chance. Thank you for introducing it. The Fence, because it seems to put its... Fa- when did you write The Fence? Well, I mean, before social media really took off. So well, I think I wrote it in 2009. It was very prescient um, but then. It's, 
sadly much more relevant now yeah because it's about how how to think right how to remain inclusive without you know driving yourself into this camp or that camp the tribalism that's rampant now yeah i think um and and saying it's claiming that it's positive to sit on the fence uh is is hard because sitting on the fence obviously has valid negative connotations and is uncomfortable yep yeah yeah and you're refusing to to be passionate or but but dispassionate i think it's untrendy and incredibly important we make it trendy again because the mechanisms by which we communicate incline us towards uh, radicalization now so we have to be super on our guard about where our emotions are pulling us it actually comes from a quote by timothy garton ash as far as i know um uh i think he talked about being in defense of the fence i think i stole the lyric but then i built a stupid pop song around it i think he'd be happy with that let's hear it the fence your wardrobe I'd be willing to bet there's a t-shirt proudly bearing the silhouette of Che Guevara he was revolutionary yeah he wore a cool hat but behind the design I think you might find it's not quite as simple as that Che was a bit of a homophobe Che was a bit of a homophobe I think Apparently. Who knows? Che was a bit of a homophobe. Che was a bit of a homophobe. This is my song in defense of the fence. A little sing along, an anthem to ambivalence. The more you know, the harder you will find it to make up your mind. It doesn't really matter if you're fine, you can't see which cross is greener. Chances are it's neither, and either way it's easier to see the difference when you're sitting on the fence. Somewhere in your house I'd be willing to bet there's a picture of that grinning hippie from Tibet, the Dalai Lama. He's a lovely, funny fella, he gives sound bites galore. But let's not forget that back in Tibet those funky monks used to dig the poor, yeah. And the Buddhist line about future lives is a perfect way to stop the powerless rising up, isn't it? Maybe. And he tells the poor they will live again, but he's rich now, so it's easy for him to say. I'm taking a stand in defense of the I got a little man playing anthems to ambivalence We divide the world into terrorists and heroes Into normal folk and weirdos Into good people and pedos Into things that give you cancer And the things that cure cancer And the things that don't cause cancer But there's a chance they will cause cancer In the future we divide the world To stop us feeling frightened Into wrong and into right and Into black and into white and Into real men Status quo and scary Yeah, we want the world binary Binary But it's not that simple And your dog has a bigger carbon footprint Than a four-wheel drive Yeah, your dog has a bigger carbon footprint
Be a dark as a bigger carbon footprint than a four-wheel drive. And so does your baby. Maybe you ought to trade him in for a Prius. Rock! I'm taking a stand in defense of the fence. We've got a little band playing tributes to ambivalence. We divide the world into liberals and gun freaks, into atheists and bundies, into teetotalers and junkies, into chemical and natural, into fictional and factual, into science and supernatural. But it's actually naturally not that white and black. You'll be dividing us into terrorists and heroes, into normal folk and weirdos, into good people and pedos, into things that give you cancer and the things that cure cancer and the things that don't cause cancer. But there's a chance it will cause cancer in the future. We divide the world to stop us feeling frightened into wrong and to right and into black and to white and into real men and fairies into pirates and canaries. Yeah, we want the world binary, binary. Zero one 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 two zero one. The fence to mention. Are you there? <laughs> I can't believe you played the whole thing. I can't believe you're still there. I was afraid you ducked out and failed to return. Oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to leave. You margin again, of two that you're never going to leave. That's what they all said. <laughs> um, um, after the huge success of Matilda, did that yeah. unnerve you at all in any way? Oh, no, I think it nerved me. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> um, I was much more nerved than unnerved because I think I, I think it gave me, uh, it gave me security and courage, uh, which are hand in hand, I suppose. It gave, it, it, as it turned out, it gave me some security financially, but mostly it, which meant I could take more risks and expand what I was doing more. But also, it made me think I was allowed to, you know, because when you get known as a comedian, it's very easy to be tempted to stay in your box and Matilda made me realize that I um it's not just quips and irony and that I am able to um, make people cry and feel different things and so it, it gave me courage basically people loved that were you amazed at how much people loved that musical I mean there's no way you can predict the sort of thing that happened I mean I thought by the time it was on, uh, by the time we put it up in Stratford-upon-Avon... Because um, it was I a Royal Shakespeare Company special. production, correct? Yeah. Yeah. It was, and it was just really going to be a Christmas show. But by the, we, we knew if you, if, you, if you do a good bit of theatre, there's a chance it can transfer, and if there's a chance it can transfer, there's a chance it can run in London. But, um, yeah, we're 13 years down the track, and it's still and, and never closed, you know, and there's just no... It's virtually unprecedented since 
or since the 1980s, since those big pop musicals of the 80s. Um, I think it's the longest-running British musical, you know, how which you is ex- not something... How do you explain it? I mean, apart from, you know, the brilliance of the songs and the lyrics and the blah, but what yeah. is it? <laughs> what is yeah, it about Matilda? Yeah. What is it about Matilda uh, that gets people? Yeah. Um, I think the story is like Harry Potter. It's an underdog with a heart of gold and special powers who rises up. We oh. love those stories, Star Wars and, um, you know, seemingly low-status people who have in the end, massive power and a moral centre. That That is the essence of the biggest stories of all time. So it's got that. Uh, we love genius. We do love genius. Um, we love observing genius, which, again, Harry Potter or Luke Skywalker, they turn out to have a talent that exceeds anyone else's. Um, and then, then the craft, you know, it, it happens to have been eight or ten or well many more than that but core creative people just who just hit the right moment and the right material and so musical theater especially requires everything to work and and that's why it so often isn't isn't great because it does require different departments to be incredibly sympathetic to each other and i think we got that right Mm. and roald dahl had an amazing ability to get how frightening being a kid can be yeah yeah, he did. Do you remember being frightened as a kid? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think my earliest memories are pretty scared. I didn't, I didn't like school when I was little. Um, I certainly had a couple of teachers who, uh, yeah, I loved Dahl as a kid. And I think, in hindsight, I'm sure these teachers were fine and lovely, but to me, they seemed like giants and despotic giants. Um, I, I had bad hearing as a kid, and I think. I, I felt very sort of isolated and I felt like people were shouting at me because, and they probably were because I wasn't very good at hearing. Um, I had lots of ear problems, so I think, I think people were just trying to be kind by shouting at me, but I got shouted <laughs> at. Uh, I, I definitely didn't like leaving my mum, you know, when I was little. And how did they fix your ear thing? Oh, you know, grommets. Grommets. And, and age. I think you, it, it was the sort of stuff you mostly age out of, but um, I still got pretty scar tissue ears. I don't know if that makes anyone feel squeamish, but they work. Ears are amazing. We could do an hour on ears. Ears are just incredible, and yeah. it's amazing that the, these these tiny, tiny vibrating membranes can be 40% scar tissue like mine are and slightly collapsed against the, 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 um, the canal and still be um still be pretty much perfect hearing yeah and nothing to do with you listening to too much loud music in the course of your career well that might still be to come but so far the fact that i've spent a lot of time doing cabaret and not rock and roll might be serving me well although that track you just played was 60 musicians so um yeah i've probably got some some lack of hearing to come i think one of the things that I think makes Matilda particularly poignant for grown-ups is the dreams that you had when you were a kid, right? She sings, when I grow up, I will eat sweets every day on the way to work. And you imagine the grown-up life being so exciting and so great, and then you get here and you just don't remember how exciting it ought to be. Yeah. Or maybe you do. Yeah, I think... Well, I try to, but no, I, I mean, I, when I wrote that song, that was the first song I wrote for Matilda and it, um, it wasn't a particular character and it wasn't a particular place in the show, which is sort of 
a foolish way to start, but um, I thought I just want to write a song about being a kid first and we'll see where that takes me. And I I wrote those long phrases and I remember at the time thinking, oh, these, these are interesting phrases um, because the sort of hope turns in on itself. But, but it makes kids feel... Um, that song makes kids feel hopeful, but parents feel regretful. <laughs> yeah. And it's because, it's because we, we feel we've let ourselves down because we, we thought what we'd do when we became grown up was do all the things that we were restricted from when we were little. We thought we'd, we'd have all the fun and climb all the trees and just stay up late, and we didn't. And, and we, we don't do that stuff for really good reasons. But sometimes I think we throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. We 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 let the fact that we've become responsible for ourselves and other people stop us uh, rejoicing in the simple things, which is such a cliche, but such it's so worth meditating on. It's what my other musical Groundhog Day is about as well, about seeing what's in front of you that is beautiful and worthy of celebration and celebrating it. How's Groundhog Day going? Oh great, yeah. Well, it's it had how a limited rough start, run right. again. In the, oh, how did it start? No, it had a rough start. Oh, it had a rough start. Yeah, it did. Well, it depends, really. I mean, it's it depends whether you're comparing it to Matilda or, you know, most art in Australia. I suppose. I mean, uh, uh you know, we opened in London, did a, a deliberately limited four month season, won Best Musical Olivier got a bunch of five-star reviews, went to Broadway for six months, got nominated for seven Tony Awards. Um, you know, so it sounds pretty good, right? <laughs> but um, but at, at that level of commercial theatre, um, if you don't make your money back, it's sort of, you know, they talk about hits and misses, basically, mm. and, and it's a binary, you know. I'm more a fan of the fence. But um, so, so yeah, it, it struggled on Broadway and then struggled to get back to London because it had lost money. But also, um, our producer died suddenly and incredibly sadly, and then COVID and so on. So it's just taking a while to get back on its feet. But it's coming to Australia in January, which I'm incredibly excited about. Oh, good, good. Do you love it as much as you did Matilda in its own way? Oh yeah, definitely. And I don't, I don't struggle with any sense. I have a fairly, I'm quite sensitive to the idea of whether what I'm doing is successful or not, as in I'm not, like, I don't think any artist is. I'm not super easy with criticism. I don't like it when someone says, you know, my work is not great. But the the commercial thing, the whether or not something makes me a, a bunch of money or not, that does not come, it just doesn't come into it for me. I don't, I don't have trouble separating what I think is good work from from whether or not it finds a broad or narrow audience. And Groundhog Day, without a doubt, for me, is as good a piece of musical theatre as Matilda. I mean, for me, it's better, but it's more for grown-ups and it's darker and more yeah, complex yeah. and more multi-layered and funnier and more heartbreaking and... Um, but it's but it's a different audience, so it's never going to be Matilda, and nor was it meant to be. So, but no, I I, I love Groundhog Day. Are you able? In to... fact, you you love your slightly weird kid more, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, are, are you more relaxed about whether something makes money or not, on account of the fact, not to put it too finely, Matilda made you pretty rich and continues to give. Uh, yeah, 
Yeah. And and also my touring, you know, I've managed to find an audience in Australia and England and New Zealand and to an extent America where if I... You don't have to tour anymore, uh, though, do I, you? You yeah. could just stay home. I don't have to, but if I wanted to make some money, um, like I'm renovating my house right now, and although Matilda does great, it's... Um, it's quite a, a bit, it's a, like more like a build. And so I go, oh, I'll go on tour and then I won't have to borrow any money. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, I'm not, I'm not, I don't own a startup, but I'm, I, I, there's no doubt that Matilda took the pressure off stuff financially, which means I can make more artistic, artistically interesting stuff that isn't targeted at broadness, but is targeted at, at quality or um, intrigue or innovation. I was reading a Guardian article which described you as having the not unusual artistic trait of being a combustible blend of high confidence and low self-esteem. <laughs> Did you read that? Okay. Uh, I, I don't suppose I read it. I don't tend to read articles about myself because of my high confidence and low self-esteem, ah, probably. But it sounds paradoxical. Can you imagine, do you think you possess both those things at the same time? Um, I absolutely do. And um, How? How? I don't think... Well, I think everyone does. In fact, I, I mean, everyone is all things, and I think in the same breath you can feel really good about yourself and... And really bad about yourself. Uh, in fact, I think I think the most arrogant people, and I I don't think I'm arrogant. I think the most arrogant people are born of poor self-esteem. They have to declare themselves all the time because deep down they're scared that people won't notice, or they're scared that they're not enough. So they have to declare their their positive attributes or what they see as their empowering attributes. But I don't think I'm that guy. I just think. The reason the article um, correctly assesses many artists as having that dichotomy is that is that it it requires you to sort of want to impress people all the time. That that's one of the things that keeps you moving. Artists will always say, "Oh, I just want to explore," you know. I just want to be a storyteller. It's just the craft, and it's like, yeah, part of it is applause. Part of what's driving you is applause and affirmation. And I've always been aware of that. I I. I want people to like my work and tell me I'm clever. And one, if you if you recognise that in yourself, and by the way, I think that's universal. I think everyone wants affirmation. But if you recognise that in yourself, um, and make sure you know it's there, I think I think it's completely fine. <laughs> but Every um, but it also doesn't invalidate what I'm making because of that. Everybody wants affirmation now, but also everybody. This is going to sound like an old farts rant, really. But, I mean, everybody thinks that they deserve affirmation now on account of social media, you know? And I yeah. just don't know how that's going to end up, really. Do you? No. And I think, I mean, there's so many things wrong with social media, um, from privacy to tribalising to, um, to public shaming and bullying as a mechanism for change when there's no... Um, process by which we decide who deserves it and and yes the addiction to the affirmation of strangers or a group of you know distant friends over being valued over 
true love and and it's something i'm writing about now actually that that that's what when you get a bit of fame to use that horrible word when you get a um a public profile and you have experienced what it's like to have 10,000 people stand up and clap you and people fate you you learn if you are introspective that that the that that is poison or at least it's it's an addiction a genuine addiction as in it's a chemical addiction right applause it's affirmation is is a genuine chemical addiction it's addiction to all that stuff dopamine being the main one and we get that online and the more you get it the more addicted you get to it and the worse it is for you really because it's it's not meaningless but it's not the right sort of meaning it's not the right sort of love it's not going to make you a happier person mm-hmm. it's um bottomless that's the trouble you can't fill that hole one of the re- what do you do with your kids then with regard to social media i keep them in a small box with a strap <laughs> yeah, around it that's right in the dark <laughs> um, in the dark uh I've, I've we it's ongoing you know um we were we were a little bit restrictive with social media when they were young and um, my daughter, who really struggled in her teens, her, her psychologist said you have to get her a phone. Like, the, this is how kids communicate and you can't that, – that's not the right thing to stop her communicating, you know. Um, but uh, I've been very, very lucky. My kids are I, – I have some hope for this next generation coming through now that they're going to see how it's all torn us asunder and addicted us and they're going to – then I think our generation was blindsided by it. I, I hope they're going to be better. Yeah, we certainly did delude ourselves that it was going to make the world a better place for a while there. Well, and in, in ways it has, but in, in more significant ways I don't think it has. One of the reasons I was really interested to read that line in the Guardian article I quoted because um, you have a song called This Plane Goes Down and oh, there yeah. is a line in it that that is very similar to the blend of high confidence and low self-esteem it goes mm. remember me as someone who tried to find a balance between self-loathing and pride same right mm-hmm. yes it's exactly pointing to that personality type and i i'm i'm not sure i've always felt myself a very a kind of normie i've always thought i'm I'm a pretty normy guy. I had a very normal upbringing and I was, you know, not, I was fine at school and fine at sport and, you, you know. And so I've always written on the assumption that people resonate with what I write because I think I'm a, I'm an archetype. Um, I'm not sure so much anymore. I think, I think sometimes people go, no, I don't feel like that. And I'm like, oh, I thought everyone felt like that. Um, but yeah, I think, you put your finger on it or the article did that artists particularly i think have this profile of high self-esteem low self-esteem but i I certainly would still contend that people don't either have high self-esteems or low self-esteems do they do you aren't you a mess yep pretty much (laughs) thank you for offering that word i was Stuck for one for a moment. Yep, I'm a mess. <laughs> you were going to go with something a bit more modern. No, no, I just couldn't. I was stumped there. Absolutely stumped. Um, but, let's have a listen. By a mess, I mean a mess. We're a mess of. We are. We're, we're a, a mess, conflicting. Aren't we? I mean, we. Yes. Yeah, you can be happy and sad at the same moment. Mm. I hope so. That's what I try to do in in my work, and 
And you can certainly hold at the same time the thought that, uh, which I do, that I'm a really smart, thoughtful person and I'm a shitty little needy, you know, <laughs> privileged, you know, I don't know, gross, you know, hairy, I don't know, animal or something. Yeah, no, you know. that's um, sounding yeah. really, really attractive to me. I'm going to play If This Plane Goes Down <laughs> then, and then I'll come back to you. By that time, you'll have reassembled yourself. Stand by. Yeah. Could I be more of a cliche? 40,000 feet above Nebraska, scratching lyrics on a napkin, praying that this turbulence will spare my wine. The plane is almost empty, but for 320 other humans. All staking their existence on a couple of dozen rivets Straining between fuselage and wing A fact we're only coping with by drinking If this plane goes down I hope that I'm one of the cool ones Will I have the nerve to play the clown If this plane goes down If this plane goes down Remember me as someone who tried To find a balance between self-loathing and pride Dug too hard for love at times So if it ends in flames and fuel, please tell my kids I've kept my cool If my time is up and this plane goes down If this plane goes down as we hit the ground I want to be smiling Happily Hades bound As this plane goes down If this plane goes down Remember me as someone who cared Often but not always about his hair Self-righteous when shit wasn't fair So if it ends in fire and glass, please tell my kids I went down classy if my time is up and this plane goes down. As Tim mentioned, if this plane goes down, we should talk, Tim, about the show that you're bringing here in March, An Unfunny Evening with Tim Minchin and His Piano. Is it really unfunny? Yes, ma'am. Um, well, I I thought it would be unfunnier than it has ended up, which I should I should have known. Um, as in, I I was keen not to be playing comedy songs, um, uh, because I haven't really written comedy songs for fourteen years. Uh, I've, I I'm very happy that people like them, and I'm happy to play them live sometimes. But I I stopped focusing on comedy after that orchestra show in 2012. Um, and uh, and I didn't, I, I hate the idea that I'm going to fool my audience, that they're going to turn up expecting one thing and I'm going to give them another. 
I'm, I'm, as I say on the website, it's not compulsory. <laughs> um, but of course, the way I, I've, I've been on stage for a long time, and and I've been doing comedy for a long time. So, so the the talky bits always end up having the rhythm of comedy. Uh, and my songs, even like if this plane goes down, it's got quirky lyrics in it. So there's there's always humour in it. But I'm 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 very much not playing the my best known punchliney songs. Are you um, happy touring now? You stopped for a while. Yeah, I'm. I really love it. It's it's. It, it, I take it really seriously. Like I take everything. Seriously, it's not quite the word. I'm very, very keen to make sure every time I get on stage, um, I don't take it for granted. I'm, uh, I'm not a phoner in a, of shows. So it's it's never fully relaxed. <laughs> you know, you, I'm always like, oh, I've got to make the show better. Or uh, last night I didn't feel like I did that well. And um, I have a real sense of, um, God, almost... There's part of the same discussion, not to get too therapy, but I, if I feel like I haven't done a good show, it's uh, almost a sense of shame, you know, like, like I, yeah. So, so it's never really relaxed, but I, I absolutely love this tour because I'm sitting on stage, I'm playing better than I've ever played before. Like, I'm letting my piano playing be central, um, as opposed to just a sort of gimmick or a, or a support, and um. And I'm singing okay, and I'm playing songs I wrote 20 years ago that have never seen the light of day, that have stood up over time, and as well as some stuff from the comedy era and some stuff from the Apart Together album. I play a song from Matilda. I play a song from Groundhog Day. Um, yeah, and, and audiences are really enjoying it, and I, I'm confident that audiences will enjoy it. But I would hate to have people coming expecting me to play the Ginger song and be devastated that I didn't. Thanks for the warning. And lest you talk too much and stay too long, I just want to get rid of you, but I want to say first that I really liked you in Californication. Oh, my God. You're outrageous. I'm glad. Um, I, li I like that show, too. I'm actually writing a new TV show now that uh, I'm not allowed to say much about, but let's say it sort of has, has bits of Californication but is set in the Enlightenment. Excellent. Lovely to talk to you. Thank you. Tim Minchin, here he is. Talk too much, stay too long. Mr. James Hazelwood on the uh, upright bass. Fishy in a very big town Barely 
scraping by on corporate gigs and quaint cabaret. Playing keyboards in a cover band until 3 and a.m. I was never really suited to them top 40 songs. You know, I talk too much and play too long. Don't wanna be in your club if you take me as a member. I'm not even slightly interested in whether I remembered I say ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Get me a tombstone if you feel your muscles saying, Here lies a clown who wrote some songs. Talk too much, stay too long. To my island at Edinburgh in 2005, place to 35 paying punters on that opening night. But to my surprise, there was a rising demand for a lot child of Liberace and Edward Scissorhands. Dude from the paper said that digging me was wrong. He said, I talk too much and I stay a little bit too long. Fuck that. I played the Albert Hall and Wembley. I played basements and bars. I've been to Hollywood and Broadway, met those A-lister stars. I've shared cigarettes with knights, shot tequila with dames. Found I'm more interested in laughter than in hotness and fame. So long as you got irony, honey, we'll get along. Stay way, way too long Don't wanna be in the club If you take me as a member I'm not even slightly interested In whether I remember There was to mention Talked too much Stayed too long As he said he's bringing his uh, show um, Funny evening with Tim Minchin And his piano to New Zealand In March